Hello, Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church. Um, we're so glad that you've joined us again um, on this Thursday where we're having another Faith Lab podcast episode. In our Faith Lab, it's an opportunity for us to have honest conversations about our faith and about our communities and about theology. Um, this week, we are having an honest conversation as a staff as we're working our way through our new preaching series called Walking with Jesus. We're working through the Gospel of Mark and we're following Jesus with all the places that he travels and all the things that he does as he's going from place to place. This week, we are looking at Mark chapter 3 and we'll be talking about verse 13 through verse 35. Um, Lisa's our preacher this Sunday, and so Lisa's going to talk to us a little bit about the text before we read it this morning. So good morning, this is Lisa, and we're about to hear this text, and it's it's not but about, you know, it's just a few short verses, 13 through 35, but a lot happens in this text. And what you're going to hear is um, essentially what seems like two stories, but in the first one, Jesus is going to call his disciples, and so he's calling the family he draws to him and that he creates for himself. And then later, we will hear him return home. And that's where we're following Jesus with this concept today, returning home, where he returns to his family of origin. So there's the, the family he creates and then the family he's born into. And what we witness is the conflict that occurs. And, and that conflict often occurs in the home and, the, and where we find our place of identity and where we're born into. But this story draws us into some of those struggles that may exist there. Um, and it can be confusing. There's, there's a power, there's also a conflict going on between the supernatural and the natural. And so you'll hear about um, Beelzebul and demons, and, and that can be easily distracting. But, but this is ultimately about home and who we are and who we are in Jesus and his family. Nancy, can you read us the scripture? Starting with Mark chapter 3, verse 13. He went up the mountain and called to him those whom he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, to be with him and to be sent out to proclaim the message and to have authority to cast out demons. So he appointed the twelve, Simon, James, son of Zebedee, John, brother of James, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd came together again, so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, He has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebul, and by the ruler of the demons he cast out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? 
If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they said he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who is my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my mother, my brother, and my sister. Thank you, Nancy. So there's nothing like 11 months of the global pandemic to put a strain uh, or challenge uh, our most important relationships. This has been true for our relationships within our households. It's been true in our friendships. It's been true in our church communities that we've been separated by distance and and yet we've also been um, inten intensifying our relationships at home because there's nowhere else for us to go. So here we find this, this scripture of Jesus really navigating the most important relationships that he has as a human on earth. And we see conflict of control and identity unfolding. And so I thought maybe we could just start talking a little bit about Jesus's choice to call these 12 um, unremarkable men into relationship and community with him to the point where they risk everything to follow somebody that they have otherwise not known prior to that moment. I love that, Lori. This is Lisa. Um, I, I've often um, found it interesting that these disciples, especially in Mark's gospel, are not impressive people because so often we, we lift them up and think, oh, the disciples, the, sometimes the apostles, what, what amazing saints they must have been, when in reality, it was a, a fisherman and a tent maker and, you know, they were just normal, regular people who um, made not, mistakes. Yeah. Not that, but they were hot-headed and impulsive and they, he chose somebody that betrayed him. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they weren't just dull, like they were like, yes. Yes, yes, Lori, they, they betrayed, like it says it right there. He chose Judas Iscariot who would betray him. So he, he totally calls and creates a family for himself full of flawed humans. 
And I think that's just one of the beautiful things about this. It makes me feel welcome as a disciple and follower of Jesus. He chose Judas and yet I, I fit right in. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't that kind of how our chosen families are? Whether those are our chosen families um, of friends or our chosen church, which is another part of our family. I think about that a lot. We are a community that's oh so different. Oh, so many life experiences. Oh, so many different interactions with people. The way we um, approach situations are different. And the way we faith, we actively live out our faith is different. And yet still, right, the, all these people and their differences, they want to be in relationship with this man. They want to be in relationship with Jesus. They drop everything, right? Like I can't even imagine the lives they dropped to go with Jesus and to return to his home. Um, and so that makes me think a lot about our, our relationship with Jesus um, and, and what, does that, what does that mean for us? And, and what does that matter um, as we kind of look at this text? you all ever experienced um, or, or known somebody that has just loved the church or loved their relationships in church and then been deeply wounded by the church or offended by conflict within a church? Um, and you see the impact of our imperfections play out in a place where we expect more or assumed that everyone would rise to the occasion uh, in the name of Christ. So, you know, we're flawed even, we're even with our best intentions, and those are, those are hard wounds to heal. Uh, and yet that's the risk of following Christ, like with authenticity, is to bear your soul and your heart for Christ together in relationship. In the disciples, except for Judas, and I think if Judas hadn't betrayed Jesus, there would have, even if he did, if he hadn't died, <laughs> Jesus would have found redemption for him and, and forgiven him. So they see it through. And yet his family of origin, which Lisa, I'd love to hear you talk about it, doesn't have the same experience. So, you know, Lori, it's really interesting as, as I was studying the scripture, um, you know, Jesus returns home right? And the crowd is, is pressing in so closely that they can't even eat. And yet then his family of origin, it says right there in the scripture, they think he has lost his mind. They think he's gone crazy and he has no idea what he's talking about. And it says that they try to restrain him. They're not just trying to, you know, sort of like the weird relative, pretend like they're not there. Like they physically try to restrain him. And, you know, I can't help but think, you know, in our own families of origin, there are complex dynamics sometimes at play. And even people who've loved us well, uh, there's complex dynamics sometimes at play. And, and then there's lots of unhealthy families as well. And so Jesus is in this power struggle with his family and you know the the crowd says well look here's your mother and brothers and he he says something which you know who are my mother and brother which doesn't seem like that big of a deal to us but that was a shocking statement because the family was so important and for him to sort of deny and and like the 
who are they to me? That was a big deal. Um, and so when I think about our sewing families and, and our own families of origin, um, I was fortunate to be in one that loves me well, I can't help but, you know, wondering all this time together, how does that impact to our identity? And are, are we able to be authentic around them? You know, <clears throat> I think about this part is very, has, has always been disturbing to me. This is Nancy. Um, Lisa, what you're talking about with, with Jesus comparing his own mother to the crowd. And, and it is hurtful when things happen at church and you've been hurt and, um, and being in relationship with your, your church family, because, you know, it feels like he's saying his mother is not important, but what he's saying is he's, he's identifying her as the crowd and we are the crowd that is to follow God's will. And this is just a great text for us to explore. What does that mean? Um, as we're approaching the East, you know, Ash Wednesday and Lent, and is one of the things we do during that time is to analyze those relationships and our identity in Christ. When I think about this kind of relationship between this, this family that Jesus has built for himself and his, and his personal family, um, I naturally can't have to think about my own life and, and think about the ways that those two relationships, this, this family of origin that, that raised me and loved me and is such a big part of my identity and how I am the way I am. But then also this, this other, this family, this community outside that maybe I've built for myself in various areas and how that's also such a big part of my identity and a big part of who I am and the tension that sometimes lies between those. I think for us as people, when we, when we go home and we're with, we're with our family and we remember, um, what that's like versus, versus our everyday lives and the people we might be interacting with more. Some of, and that's different for everyone because just depending on our relationships with our families and how often we're able to see them. But I think Lisa, um, I, I wonder how Jesus's family would, would respond to what he said and how they would understand this community that he's built for himself that's so important when right then and there, it feels a little bit like they're focusing a lot on who he is and trying to grapple with this, this life that he's living. I can't help but hear this scripture and think about family systems, which is a, a way that some, some counselors and therapists approach um, family counseling. Um, and you can also apply it to institutions and in so much that a family unit um, each has, everyone within that unit has a role to play, you know? And so oftentimes there'll be one person in that, in that, in, in that unit <laughs> that acts or changes, um, diff changes the way they act or behaves or their identity shifts over time. And it creates a disequilibrium um, for the whole family, you know, and so then conflict ensues. And it seems as if Jesus has come back to his family of origin and they do not know what to make of his power in his identity that has been bestowed upon him by God. And, and he's living that out in an embodied way. And they just don't know what to make of it. 
Um, and so we see like this human Jesus um, really having, having to grapple with what it means to follow God's call in his life as a human. And the cost of that sometimes um, is more than we bargain for. Um, you know, I know that that's true for us now, and it seems as if it was true for Jesus back then. I, I wonder if you all have any thoughts on when it's appropriate to step away from a family of origin uh, and how to do that in good faith when somebody might be feeling a call away from who they expect you to be. I can't help but go back to what you were, were talking about, sort of the family systems. And, you know, sometimes if, if your family of origin um, keeps you in that role you play and you're not allowed to sort of step out of it and grow and thrive, and, and maybe you're the, the naughty kid or maybe you're the black sheep or maybe you're the good kid who never um makes any mistakes you you you're the pleaser right and yet those things keep you from maybe growing into who you're intended to be and you know i think that when you're you're not allowed to keep growing and thriving and and being who god created you to be um that's when it might be important to maybe move out of that family system in a way um, the hard part is, is staying out of it, right? And yet keeping a connection with that family of origin. Um, well, I think sometimes through therapy and counseling, a family can reorient and readjust. So, you know, a healthy family system will, will work together to change patterns that might be unhealthy. I certainly think that abusive patterns are indicators of the need for somebody to move away. And over time, those can be reestablished, you know, but you know, that requires some professional guidance and help along the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one piece of this scripture, um, as I was also reading along in the Debert book that some groups are, are using, um, it, it sort of talked about the circle of preference, right? And, and how Jesus created a, his own circle of preference with the disciples. Um, and yet your family is also considered back then to be your circle of preference and they were high priority. Um, and how Jesus in this passage steps out of that family of origin circle of preference um, to expand the circle to all of us. You know, who is my mother and brother and sister? those who do my will, right? And so as I reflect a little bit on that circle of preference, you know, I, I can't help but think, what, how does my circle of preference help me, right? Um, you know, who do I surround myself with? You know, you as colleagues, yes, you, you're good for my circle of preference. You help me think and grow and challenge me. But how does that circle of preference hinder me, right? In what ways Am I not seeking um, outside of my circle of preference, right? Um, what things do I love that blind me to ways in which I might better follow Jesus? I don't know if you have any thoughts. 
I will say that it is not a coincidence that Jesus calls 12 or 13, you know, the number and the names always kind of change, but um, they're representing the 12 tribes of Israel, which is to say that they represent the diversity and creativity of God's kingdom on earth, you know, God's reign on earth. And so uh, talk about circle of preference that that's not what the disciples represent. They represent God's vast, diverse creation of, of humanity. And we're all adopted into that. So our true identity in Christ comes through Jesus' call upon us uh, into this ever-expanding um, circle. You know, it, it's a table, you know, and it just, it, it's endless and it's round. Yeah. This is, sorry, Margo. Go ahead, Nancy. Um, this is Nancy. Uh, kind of um, piggybacking on what Lisa had said, I think that, um, and then expanding into what Lori said, I think that our families of origin sometimes can keep us from realizing all of that and realizing all of the things that you can be and, and can do. And I think that in this particular instance, Jesus is, you know, reminding us sometimes we get bogged down in in um, roles and preferences and identities that aren't life-giving, aren't um, forgiving, um, aren't part of what his ultimate plan for us is. And we have to kind of reevaluate that and try to find things that are going to, you know, be affirming and relationships that will be affirming and communicate that with our family. Yeah. I think about how what Lori said is it's such a reassuring thing for us to hear given our climate right now and the ways that so many of us are quite literally stuck in homes with our families, people that we love, our families of origins that mean so much to us. But um, some people are also stuck in situations right now, right? And these, as we talk about these family systems that aren't ideal. And so to be reminded that there are these, these communities of diversity out there that are, that are welcoming and loving and can be made families for people, I think is a reassuring word to hear. I think a lot of times people struggle and suffer in that because of the complicated relationships that fall under family systems sometimes. And they basically just need that simple reminder that, um, that chosen family exists um, and that uh, chosen family can be diverse and unexpected and can still be loving in a sense of place where speak, people can challenge and speak growth um, and help you kind of develop and grow into who God created you to be. I think that that simple reassuring word is so important. Yeah, thanks, Margo. That's a great point. Um, you know, this, this scripture passage, there's a lot in there. Um, but I do think, you know, this week, just reflecting on our chosen families and our families of origin and the gifts they offer us and the conflict they offer us and, and where we fit in there. So as we move through this week, I guess the question, I'm going to close this in prayer in just a minute. But before I do, I just maybe throw out to you um, 
you have a sort of a circle of preference in your life, uh, in both your chosen family and your family of origin. And my, my question to you is, how does that help you follow Jesus? And how does that hinder you from following Jesus? And, and how might you um, adapt to those circumstances in a way that's freeing? Okay, let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that uh, in Jesus, uh, we can reflect on home. Jesus goes home, and sometimes we do too. We thank you for, for the families we choose for ourselves, um, those people who help us seek your will and grow into who you've created us to be. We also thank you for families of origin that have nurtured us and cared for us in healthy and beautiful ways. Uh, we ask that where there are broken systems and systems that hinder and harm, that you help us uh, remove those and uh, seek better, healthier patterns. Lord, uh, when it comes to the church, we can't help but sometimes hurt each other, but that we are uh, the family you've created and that we uh, seek and strive each and every day and the church universal, but especially at Selwyn, to be a community that nurtures each other, that forgives each other, and that um, just looks to spread around your grace and love with reckless abandon. So we ask that you go with us now into this week, uh, reflecting on ways in which uh, we might seek to follow you and all the gifts that uh, are available in your grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I hope you all have a good week, and we'll uh, see you on Sunday.